I always call my wife after a, a, a good audition, and I say, sweetie, I got bad news. It went really well. She said, okay, don't worry about it. There'll be other jobs. That is Luke Cage actor Michael Kostroff, also known for his recurring or series regular roles on The Wire, The Good Wife, The Blacklist, Law and & Order, and many, many, many more. And I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast that's dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. On this episode, Michael answers the listeners' questions. If you have a question you'd like to ask Michael or any other guest in the past or future, follow me and ask it on Twitter, action underscore podcast. There's a little bit of an echo on this episode and probably the next two episodes as well, but I have since fixed the technical error. I hope you all had a good summer. I know I did. It's good to be back. Michael Kostroff, thanks so much. You're the first guest I've had uh, in about four months. This is kind of cool. It's like it's like being Johnny Carson's last guest, or <laughs> you were the you're my last guest, and you're my first guest back. That's so, really that's yeah, cool. absolutely. So we have a ton of uh, listener questions. This entire episode is going to be all listener questions. Uh, what have you been? Uh, what you've been doing since I last talked to you about four months ago? It's been remarkably busy. I, you know, more and more the rules of our business. Um, you know, they used to say that the summer was dead, and that certainly hasn't been true uh, for me this past summer. Um, I um, had I had I worked on the uh, Wizard of Lies thing when we, I don't think I, I had when we last spoke. So this is trippy. I, I got cast in a, a HBO show called Wizard of Lies, which is the second show about Bernie Madoff. Uh, the first one was with Richard Dreyfus. This one was with Robert De Niro, and I played De Niro's brother. So that was. That's a whole story. That was trippy. Um, and I, I've been working on a, a TV show called The Deuce, which is uh, by the same people who did The Wire. It's for HBO. It's about 42nd Street in the 70s and the prostitution trade. Um, great show. And I've been filming uh, Luke Cage for Netflix, which is you know based on the, the comic book character. And that just uh, just debuted September 30th, and it's been a big deal. And... Um, I'm currently doing uh, the producers. Uh, you know, I, I, I do musical theater as well, and it's my seventh production of the producers, and my last because it's a it's a mother. Um, if anybody's ever seen the show, it, it, the character I play never leaves the stage for three hours and running and singing and dancing. So um, that's what I've been up to. And at the yeah. same time, I'm, I've been trying to. I've been wrapping up. Um, I'm writing a book version of my um, workshop, Audition Psych 101, and so I've been wrapping that up at the same time. I'm, I'm a glutton for busy. I like to be busy. Well, amazing. Congratulations on all your continued success, Michael. Thank you, and I, I should add, because you know your listeners will, will understand this, between all those jobs, I panicked and figured I'd never work again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. That's what I've been up to, working and panicking alternately. That's the life. That's yeah, the life. it really is. Well, great. Um, why don't we start with Mickey O'Sullivan's question, which is, uh, he's got a few of them. We'll start with this one. I'd love to know a bit more about what his Audition Psych 101 workshop focuses on and when he created it. What inspired him to put it together and what the early process of leading his own workshop was like as a working actor? It's a great question. I'm, I'm glad you asked about that, Mickey. Um, you gave me a long question, so I get to give a long answer. 
I was a really terrible auditioner um, when I was a young actor uh, um, for a lot of reasons, uh, some of which are I was a very, I just happened to be a very insecure, low self-esteem guy. I think a lot of actors can relate to that. And I was so bad at it that when I would go into the room, I couldn't even remember what happened when I went inside. Uh, and it was, it was terrible. And um, over the years, I started to really think about what was fucking me up. Are we allowed to curse on this podcast? Absolutely. Fuck please, yes. Please do. Fucking okay. A. So um, I was, over many years, I got incrementally better and better at auditioning because I had to. I, I just had to do this for a living. This is what I wanted to do. It was my passion. And I did it by sort of analyzing what, what was going on in my head. Okay, so cut to years later, um, a friend of mine says, uh, you got to teach a class. And I said, on what? And she said, every time I have an audition, you give me some piece of golden advice that saves my ass. And I said, I do? And she said, yeah, teach a fucking class. So I, I with terror, terror, because I had never taught, I wrote down some notes on a, some note cards and, you know, it ended up being a, a four-hour class and uh, mostly just talking, mostly just talking about about the way we think about each phase of the audition process. Um, what I've discovered right away was that the stuff that I go through was universal, every actor related, and nobody had ever thought about it in the way that I had thought about it. And people came up to me and said, this has changed my whole career. So I felt like I've got to give this to my fellow actors. This is going to be my mission now. Um, because I've, I've sort of I've demystified a lot of the process. And I also am you know, taking out for examination some of the mythology that we've created that fills us with terror. You know, I think a lot of us on some level really think that casting directors cannot wait to reject us. They loved, they're like the sadists who love to torture us and make us feel bad. And that's crazy. When you say it out loud in a group of actors, and we all relate to the fact that we've actually been thinking that, it kind of pulls it out. It kind of takes it away because you're like, that's crap. That's nonsense. So, um, uh, again, I'm, you know, I'm giving you a long-winded answer because you asked me everything. But um, uh, the workshop is uh, about I, the psychological side of auditioning. And by that I mean, um, you know, the way we think about each, each part of the process and about the way we think about our chances and the competition and, uh, and casting directors and how they work and their side of the equation. And um, I always hasten to add that it's not new age thinking. It's not any kind of magical, positive, anything. I, I, it's very realistic. It's based on fact and truth and field-tested knowledge. And what I love is that I've now been teaching this thing for more than a decade. And I've gotten piles and piles and piles of emails from actors who say it was a game changer for them. And that's why I do it. I really love Chicago actors. I've had two visits to Chicago, and it's a different kind of way of working. And I, they're very craft-oriented. And um, I've had a great time there, and I've had a lot of actors there asking me to bring it back. So I just went ahead and scheduled two workshops. I've got one on the 5th and one on the 6th of November. Awesome, Michael. So uh, for all the listeners, I'm going to be there, I believe, on the 5th. I'm almost positive I'll be there on the 5th. So uh, if you want to come say what's up to me. Oh, and I, of course we should add, um, if you want to find out about it and register, it, that's at www.auditionpsych101.com. Um, and all the information is there on the registration page. You can um, sign up for the workshop. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so continuing on, Nikki has a couple more questions. He says, uh, I'm super interested in his consistency throughout his career and what he thinks led him to such a seemingly breakless career stretch. I don't uh, consistency. I, I don't 
think I hit any kind of consistency in my career until I was in my late 30s, which is uh, interesting for some people to hear because I was always a, very much a late bloomer. And, you know, one of the things that we really don't like accepting is that there's a lot of mystery and a lot of lack of logic in the way acting careers work. I cannot give you a reason or a theory or a, a magic trick that would explain why I've become a, cons a consistently working actor. You know, it's, it's, it's luck, it's coincidence. Uh, uh, yes, I'm a good actor, but there are a lot of good actors who are not working as much as I am. And who knows why? You know, I, it, it's, I, I, I go back again and again to the fact that you have to want to do this badly enough that you're going to do a, a full career of failure if that's what it is. Um, and I made that commitment to myself early, uh, that I said, even if I never work, I have to be an actor. I've got to sort of go around plying my trade and because I love what I do. Um, I should also add that the consistency of my work is not uh, in real life the way it looks on the outside. <laughs> you know, I, my wife will tell you that I go through months of not working and, you know, uh, and, and worrying and figuring I'll never work again and like everybody else. Uh, but, I, but at that said, I mean, I've been immensely fortunate. I think the other thing that we don't like to admit to ourselves is that a lot of work makes you more confident, which leads to more work. It's not right. fair, but it's true. Part of the reason that I work a lot now is that I, I feel more confident going in because enough people have hired me that I figure I might be good at this stuff. Do you also gain a lot of confidence from knowing that your resume is as solid as it is and the more you book, the more you feel like I've got this resume that's, that's got my back? Yeah, you do. And again, I, I know that's not fair. It does, it's not helpful to people who don't have a resume like mine, but this is the truth. You know me, I'm a straight shooter. Um, you know, I walk into an audition, I have got, I've got the resume that I've got, and I know that if they don't pick me, eh, you know, somebody else will. And, you know, I, and I, I, I don't have to, I, yeah, I used to feel like I was embarrassed to be there and I didn't belong in the room. And I, I, I don't have that as much as I used to because I've got some credits. Right. All right. Um, Mickey also wants to know uh, how you balance personal slash family life and career life, and if how his priorities have shifted throughout the years. Well, I never had any luck with women, so that made it very easy to balance my career and my love life. Um, <laughs> I was most, mostly cursed, a gypsy curse uh, of, of being single through this world. Uh, and then, of course, as life does, it threw me a huge surprise, and I got married at 50. Um, my wife lives across the country from me, so it's it's very tricky. Um, yeah, I think it's also not particularly easy to be married to an actor because, you know, she's got to <laughs> listen to my meltdowns and my highs and lows. And uh, Mickey, I'm just giving you some really honest answers here. My wife, I think, understands that the career will often come first and um, that any plans we make may suddenly change. And she's been, I've got to say, an amazing partner in that way. She just rolls with it and she says, okay, so we're going to Arkansas, fine. <laughs> you know? um, a, I don't know much about balancing it because I spent most of my life without balancing a, a career and a love life at all. And, and B, now I have this weird complicating part that you know is, is long distance. So I don't know if my experience is going to be applicable to anybody else's. The second part, how, how have my priorities shifted is an interesting one. Um, you know, more and more as I go along, I, life is short and I want to be happy. 
I don't want to work with mean people. I don't want to work with assholes. I certainly don't want to work with anybody abusive. There are certain situations that I'm taking off my list of things that I want to do. Um, I, I'm I'm older now, also, so I'm. I, I, I've done like a really one really nervy thing is I don't take any TV jobs if I don't get the triple banger dressing room. That's a sort of a you know obviously that's I'm at the level where I can do that, but even that's scary because I'm willing to turn things down. So my priorities have shifted in, in terms of the experience. I, I, I'm not going to take a job just because I'm desperate and want to work, and that's kind of different. Cool. Okay. Um, Josh Trant asked. I would love to know if he has any daily practices that keep him ready for auditions, or is it simply the more you audition, the better you get? It's the second part. That's a really easy one to answer. I don't, I'm not a particularly disciplined or organized guy. Um, there's certainly not things that I do every day, um, other than the things that actors do that they don't realize they do, which is like people watching and observing and thinking about how people operate, because that's our study. But it's, it really is the more you audition, the more comfortable you get with the process. You know, and that's, again, what I try to convey and pass along through Audition Psych 101 is some of the stuff that I've learned from so many auditions. Great. Um, Max Hawkford asks, does he have any creative ways to get more auditions? How does he decide when and how to move from agent to agent or manager to manager? I don't know how to get more auditions. I, mm -hmm. I just don't. You know, I, I want to just address this, that, you know, a lot of actors get illegal breakdowns, and I, I just, I really question the value, because, you know, if you have an agent, they don't want you breathing down their necks, you know, uh, unless you have some special connection with somebody on the job, and it's an illegal practice, and, and you know, if you self-submit, that's, that people don't, you know, that's not going to, going to go anywhere. I just don't know. I, I, I think I, 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 I hate to have to, to give this answer, but I don't have an answer. Um, what was the second part again? Part two of Max's question is how did he decide when to move from agent to agent or manager to manager? Um, it's a tough one. I, you know, I, I, um, I tend to be very loyal with my agents uh, and managers because, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing what I'm doing, which is trying to f further my career. Um, I guess I've, I've had some agents that were really bad, <clears throat> that were not doing their jobs, or I, or I found out were hated in the industry, and <laughs> that's always a good reason to move on. Uh -huh. um, I had one agent I was with that I really loved. They were terrific, but they were, their specialty was co-star roles, and I built my resume with them, and I, you know, it was heartbreaking to leave them because they were great to me, but it, I needed to, to start doing guest star roles, and that just wasn't what they did. So that was hard. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a tricky thing. I just think um, it's smart to to err on the side of being conservative and not jump the gun, because your agent isn't a miracle worker. If a, if an agent if you're not getting enough auditions, it might be you're just not at that place right now where casting directors are going, yeah, bring that guy in. You know, um, and sometimes it takes that awful thing, patience. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, okay. All right, uh, let's see here. Christine Vetta says, I've always wondered about wardrobe. How much does it affect your audition, how you dress? Sometimes I go all out and I'm the character when I walk through the door and I don't always book those jobs. I'm assuming she means she's dressed exactly like she thinks the right. character should be dressed. Yeah, yeah so I, I, my rule is this. You should dress to suggest the role without 
uh, without wearing a costume. Uh, it, you know, if you're going in for the role of, you know, Brutus and Julius Caesar, you should absolutely not wear a toga. You know, it's just yeah, going yeah. too far. It's too desperate. And it's also uh, suggesting that the casting director can't do his or her job. Um, one of the things I talk about, again, I keep going back to my workshop because it's where a lot of this knowledge is. You know, we get this idea in our head that auditions are fraught with things that we can ru just ruin. You know, um, there has never been a casting director who said, well, I was going to cast her, but that dress, forget it. She wore a dress that I don't like to the audition. It, it's not a make or break. I do think that it is helpful to you and to the casting director if you wear something that suggests the role. But I don't think that you can track, well, let's see, I booked, I booked a role when I wore the pink dress, so I'm going to wear that to every audition. That's superstition is what that is. Um, but I wouldn't, I, I, the going all out is, is uh, if, if it's what I'm imagining, it's, it's, you're probably trying a little too hard. The, what you wear is not going to determine whether you get a part. I completely agree. Um, okay, Brett Bazad asks, what techniques do you use to make strong choices in an audition without coming across as too much or too big for the camera? Great question. Um, I, I think, um, first of all, I don't think it's smart to approach an audition with the thought, I've got to make strong choices or unique choices because that's not really how actors do their work. I think it's always good to get back to what we do, like what's going on for this person? What are the stakes? What, what, what are the objectives? What are the obstacles? All the stuff we learn in acting class. And I think if you really dive into that work, and this is what we forget again and again. We go into an audition and we, we, we lose our shit. We forget to, to do the work of acting um, because we get invested in this completely wrong task of trying to get a job, which nobody knows how to fucking do. And it really distracts us from our task. If you're going in and, uh, you know, you're, the part is, you know, I don't know, the, you're, you work at the train station and you got to tell somebody, no, the last train just left. you got one job. you got to let the person know the last train left. Mm -hmm. And if you think, well, i got to make a unique, strong choice, then you're going to do something weird. So I, I think that's, that, that, that's very important. I, and I feel like as long as you are telling the truth and trying to communicate, you're really not too big for the camera. Um, well, let me add something there. You know, if you're a theater actor, you're used to sort of sending it out into the into this big dark room. Trusting that the camera can see what's going on is very, very important. Um, we often say do nothing. We don't really mean do nothing, but we mean it might feel like nothing because you're just having a conversation with somebody. But I am a great believer, and I do this in my own work in auditions, in just reinvesting in the task, I've got to let this person know what's going on, or I've got to find out what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. If I'm a, a detective and I've got to find out where the person was on that night, I'm, I'm scrutinizing their face. I've got to find out. And then it becomes this wonderful, tiny, intimate thing between you and the reader, or you and the casting director. You've got to get an answer. That's all you've got to do. And it's very freeing. Suddenly you don't have to get a job. You just have to get an answer. Or you just have to give a little information. It's, 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 it's delicious. It, it makes the work fun again. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to uh, ask a question of my own here. Um, so when you get one of those train station ticket seller roles where you have to say the next train is in five minutes, uh, you have a very specific function. I mean, everyone has a specific function, but you have this very specific function, black and white, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just give this piece of information. But when you are a guest star 
or when you are a recurring character, when you are series regular, do you feel like you have an increased ability to make interesting choices and to push the boundaries in terms of your role? Do you understand what I mean? I, I think I do. I, um, they're almost like different jobs. You know, I've done a lot of those small co-star roles and, and they're the hardest to, to, to book and to do because it feels like you've got this millisecond and you got to zap it. And uh, again, my secret, it's not a secret, but my technique is you get back to the job. The character's job in the story. The character's job in the story, period. That's the gospel. The character's job, you know. Um, when I'm doing a guest star role, well, I think, I think the freedom that I experience is coming more with the, with the amount of work that I've done, where I feel like I've tried some things and nobody has said, what are you doing? That's stupid, you know. Um, but I also think that it, a lot of it's just in the writing. They write, ex they write situations and experiences for the larger characters that invite nuance and invite you taking the time to really process thoughts. I, I'm, I'm talking kind of abstractly, but I think you understand what I mean. Completely, yep. Um, that it's, it's more in the writing. If we're talking about what's the job of the character, you know, if I've got a whole courtroom scene, my job becomes to artfully convince a jury, and suddenly I'm making more nuanced choices that are that take up more space. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. um, okay, uh, Brett has another question, and it's, uh, what was the worst audition you ever had, and what did you learn from it? Uh, it's hard to say, because there have been so many, so many terrible, terrible auditions. God, um, you know, I think I've blocked a lot of them out, because they were early in my career, and I was just, I, I just, uh, I've, I've, made, I've made stupid choices, I've said stupid things. Um, I think most of them were awful by my own doing. I, I think they weren't as bad on the outside as they were on the inside. Uh, I, I, I just, I mean, I've, I've gone home in tears. <laughs> you know, I will say that I, let me just think for a second, Lee. Um, I, I'm going to talk about one that I had recently that, that, I, that I thought was about as bad as it could be because I went in for a, a musical at a theater that I like and I, um, I, I screwed up the song that they gave me to learn. And then uh, the scene was okay. And then they asked me if I tap dance and I went, nope. And then they cast me. And, you know, this is, again, something that I talk about in Audition Psych 101. But we, we really think that, that uh, we have some sort of control over this thing. And it is so non-scientific and so subjective. And they liked me, and they didn't care if I tap danced or not. And the ones that we think we screwed up, I mean, when I, I always call my wife after a, a, a good audition, and I say, sweetie, I got bad news. It went really well. She said, okay, don't worry about it. There'll be other jobs. Because that's always how it is. And the ones where I'm like, well, this one's definitely not happening. She's like, all right, stay by your phone. You're going to get a call from your agent. You booked it. And it's, it's, it's so true because we don't, we're not good at assessing what's a good audition and what's a bad audition. We're really, we're really not. And we, we shouldn't even be assessing. We should just do our damn work. Mm -hmm. I uh, directed my first play a couple of years ago. And boy, was that fun. And sitting on the other side of the table was, as you can imagine, just brain exploding. Um, one of the guys that I cast was called back by mistake. Um, I saw his audition. I didn't think he was particularly right for the show. And the casting director misunderstood me. She called him back. And on second, second look, I went, that's totally the guy. And he was fantastic in the play. 
you know, it's just, it's not science. I think we mm-hmm. shouldn't get too obsessed about quote unquote blowing it. Um, so yeah. I, don't, I don't, I can't, I mean, but, but again, I can't remember the really, really bad ones because, uh, you know, first of all, I'm old, but also um, <laughs> block them out. <laughs> I, uh, my, my favorite story, and I think I've told this on the podcast before, so I'll tell it quickly, but I went in for a, a national commercial for McDonald's and I was supposed to be a linebacker and I got there, the casting director was like, I, I, I don't know why you're here. You're not a, you're not a linebacker, but she's a sweetheart. And she was like, you know what? We're doing this Walmart spot. I'll put you in. We're looking for a dad. So put me in that spot. So I, so I went in for McDonald's. Didn't even audition. They put me in another room for Walmart. I didn't book that Walmart, but Walmart cast me as an accountant in another commercial, and I made twenty thousand dollars from that. Oh my commercial. god! That's listen. Nothing wrong with that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I mean, yeah. Just you know, no I, clue. I really philosophically believe that actors have to embrace the chaos of our profession. Embrace the chaos. Meaning, yes, you're not right for it. You go in anyway. Who the fuck knows? Somebody th- and also, somebody might have thought you were right for that, and you might have been the linebacker. I mean, you know, uh, if listeners have a chance to go look up an episode I was in of Banshee um, called Wix, W-I-C-K-S, you will see a role that I I do not understand how they decided to cast me in this part. It is nothing like what I do. It was one of my favorite jobs. It was completely out of my wheelhouse. And I said to them, and it was a straight offer. And I said, what made you decide to cast me? And they said, we don't know. We thought it would be fun. But I'm playing, uh, you know, a, 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 an ex-con. I've got long hair. i got neck tattoos. I've got scars. I'm southern, smoking, drinking, reckless. You know, and I usually play these cerebral, you know, lawyers and doctors. Time of my life, I had a stunt fight. I'm snorting coke off naked breasts. I mean, it's a good job. I got to be dead. And, you know, and but the thing is, like, we don't, it's, it's such a subjective, chaotic, random, nonsensical process. And I think the more you can embrace that and throw up your hands and go, look, I'm going to keep peddling my wares. I, I don't know who's going to pick me for what because it's, it doesn't make sense, uh-huh. you know. I was on a, a commercial shoot last week, and I was talking to um, an, an actress who was on it with me. And she said, "I was. We were just talking about jobs, and I asked her what what her favorite job was. And she booked um, a Royal Caribbean commercial that was national. I think they might have shot a couple of spots. They flew her to uh, I think Jamaica, and uh. they stayed there for about like ten or twelve days, all inclusive resort." She made enough to pay off all of her student loans and buy her sister a car. And she was on the uh, shoot with the, the producer. And she said, I got to ask you, what was it about my audition that made you book me? And he said, oh, I just like the way you said your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, stories like that should relax us more than make us tense because it's not like there's a magic way to say your name. It's just somebody liked it. That's all. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Emily Jo Hayes says, I always want to ask people, do you still get nervous at auditions? And if so, how do you overcome those feelings and gain control to deliver a su- successful audition? Now, I guess this is, this, is, this is your whole workshop right here. It really is. I mean, I've got a four-hour workshop that's mostly about this. But um, I, I still get nervous I, I, a little bit. I, I enjoy the nervousness. Uh, it's excitement for me. You know, I, I don't have the debilitating nerves that I used to. And again, that's what I teach in Audition Psych 101. I have a, I, I arm people with a whole bunch of different ways of 
processing that and and uh, getting rid of it because some of the stuff that we're nervous about is stupid. And I I think it's you know again it's hard out of the context of the workshop, but I'll give you a couple of things. One is if you will take a take a little time and and think about what it is that you're nervous about. Like what's the fear, even if it's irrational. Take it out and look at it. We never ask ourselves what we were actually nervous about. We are nervous. I mean, some of the things are like deep childhood shit. Like, I think they might not like me. They won't invite me to play. They'll yell at me. I mean, honestly, on some level, we think they're going to yell at us. Some some of us do. I used to have this, that they're going to yell at, yell at me because I'm, you know, invading a professional audition and I don't belong there. And when you can get specific about it, you're like, okay, that's that's crazy. I can let that one go. You know, we get nervous about things like actors are obsessively nervous with the danger of forgetting lines. And the thing is, that happens, and it's not a deal breaker. And it, it's not, it's not the, the kiss of death that we think it is. So if we could start to think about what we're nervous about, that, that's one of the ways that you can diffuse the nerves. You know, another thing that I've actually done with myself many times is if I'm really nervous at an audition, I give myself permission to leave. And then I decide to stay. And now I'm not nervous. I don't feel forced to be there. I've decided... God, I, I want to be an actor. This is what I do. I like being an actor. Act, it's amazing to me to say this, but auditioning has become joyous for me because I feel like I get to suit up and go to work. I get to be an actor today. I get to do what actors do. I go play a role. I don't know if they're going to pick me, not pick me. I don't give a fuck. I get to go act on a Thursday, you know? Mm-hmm. Good news, I don't know if, if, this list, if this listener is in Chicago or LA or New York or any of the places I do workshops, but I am working on a book version of this workshop, uh, which if you, if you sign up for my mailing list on the website, you'll know when the book is out. I think it, um, we're, we're editing it right now. So it'll probably be, I guess, early next year. And it's, it's just full, full of stuff like that, that, that addresses this exact question. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. awesome. You know, you told me uh, something in one of our conversations, which was that you decided that you were going to be an actor and you were going to live that life, whether you were successful or not, and you were going to embrace and enjoy even the low times, even the struggle, because that's part of being an actor. And when I heard that, that was a huge game changer for me because there are those times where you get an audition last minute and you already had plans and you're like, fuck, now I have to like cancel my plans and sit home and do the work. And you're like... Maybe you don't really want to do it, but when you look at it as this is what I decided to do and I'm going to enjoy all of it, not just the good parts that are few and far between, but I'm going to enjoy all of it. I'm going to enjoy rushing to the audition. I'm going to enjoy the the traffic jam. I'm going to enjoy the train breaking down. You kind of like, once you look at it as I decided to do this and this is awesome, all of it, that made a huge difference for me. I think it's crucial to our mental health. You know, we're in, a, we're in a very confusing, weird business that doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not based on fair or merit or anything. And I know way too many actors for whom they're only successful when they have booked a job and everything else is failure. And I, I couldn't look at it that way. I'd lose my mind because it's all success. I feel like if, if you have suited up for this craziness, that's an achievement in itself. If you'd like to sign up for one of Michael Kostroff's workshops here in Chicago on the 5th or the 6th of November, go to auditionpsych101.com. The cost of the workshop is just $75, 
but Michael wanted me to let you know that if you're going through financial hardship and you're not able to pay that, just email him at auditionpsych101 at gmail.com and he's happy to give you a break on the price. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and give me a rating or review and I will happily personally thank you on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening.